believeth on the Son, tis true, hath everlasting life. Oh, unworthy yet I will not doubt, for him that cometh he will not cast out. He that believeth all the good news shout hath everlasting life. Verily, verily, unto you, verily, verily, message ever new. He that believeth on the Son is true hath everlasting life. Amen. Remember singing that years ago? You, you, can, you allowed to nod. Did they sing that down in the dicker? No, no, sorry. There we are. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the truth of that hymn, the lovely truth that comes straight from your word. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. Hallelujah. Bless us now as you come to your word. Help us to understand it clearly, simply. Help us to apply it to our own hearts, our own lives, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been going through 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Well, two, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians, and we arrived at chapter 5. We've been doing that the last few months. I've been here, and uh, we're coming towards the latter end of it. And uh, I think last time we were thinking about reconciliation. All right, so if we start at verse 17 again, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Tonight I want us to come on to verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. If you were here this morning, you would have heard me say that when we were looking at uh, two, uh, 1 Samuel, chapters 4 and 5, and then 6, uh, I made two statements. One was that God doesn't need us to fulfill his purposes. And I quoted a little, uh, was it a little saying or a little hymn, God has no hands but our hands and no, uh, no feet but our feet. Now, strangely enough, I read that phrase in a commentary on 1 Samuel chapter 6 yesterday. And the man, who's an Australian, a Hebrew scholar, very capable gentleman, with a big, large commentary uh, on 1 Samuel, and he quotes the same thing, the same phrase, and he said virtually exactly what I said. Oh, I, I thought, oh, that's all right then, you know, yes, a clever man, and there's little me, and he's saying, yeah, well, I don't think he got it from me, mind, but I, you know. Now, so here's the point. God doesn't need us 
to fulfill his purposes. But the other bit I added was, but God sometimes is pleased to use us to fulfill his purposes. And you've got to have that. Because if you only have half of it, you've only got half a message, half a gospel. And some people have taken that to an extreme and said, well, you know, only God can do it and only God can save and God is sovereign and all the rest of it. And therefore, I, I don't do anything. That's not biblical. It's not biblical that you sit at home with your hands tied together. Jesus never said to the disciples, I'm going to glory. Now you sit in the synagogue, you sit in the upper room, you sit there and do nothing. And the people will come to you. Jesus never said, uh, take your nets to the, to the, the side of, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee and put your nets down on the beach there and the fish will jump out of the water into the nets. Jesus never said that. And we are not to say, Lord, bring them in, but we don't want to go out there to them. That's not biblical. Our message is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all the nations. We are to go. So let's not make that an excuse for our laziness and apathy. Okay. So now, tonight, the emphasis is on the second part. God is pleased sometimes to use us to fulfill his purposes. And thank God for that. He doesn't have to. He doesn't need to, but it pleases him so to do. And that's why we're going to, emphasize, we're going to have our main emphasis on this expression, ambassadors for Christ. A few little technical things. Um, the word ambassador is, comes from a word which we've been thinking about when we've been doing the Bible studies in Acts, particularly Acts 20. And the word for elders there is presbyters. Right, from which we get our word presbytery, presbyterian, and so on. And uh, or the word for overseer can be translated overseer. It's often translated elder, or sometimes it's translated bishop in the authorized version. But that's the essence of this, this word, all right, for elders, presbyters. And it's the same word, slight variation, for the word ambassador. It normally means an older or elder man. All right? So that's the meaning, literally, of the word. And the actual, that word is only used twice, here in 2 Corinthians and once in Ephesians 6, where Paul says, I am an ambassador for Christ. So two places, this particular word, all right, this variation of the word presbyter is mentioned. Now, the word ambassador itself uh, is, is a word that we would know in English. Uh, we are familiar with the uh, ambassador for the United Kingdom in America, shall we say. We are used to the phrase uh, the American uh, embassy uh, in London. They have an, uh, an ambassador there who speaks on behalf of the country. or It could be the king or the prime minister or the emperor or whoever, whatever, it's a representative of a foreign party for a foreign place who has a, um, an office in another country. And he's there to represent the other country. And there are all kinds of little diplomatic uh, things that go, uh, go, uh, go with that. So, the, for example, the American embassy in London is regarded as part of America. Right? It's obviously in London, it's in the UK, but that little part of ground is regarded as American. 
Now, it's quite interesting, that, because it means that we have no jurisdiction legally on that bit of land, that house, or whatever it is. It's American. And we've had these bizarre things that have occurred. Uh, just see what you, where the wife of a diplomat knocks somebody down, right? It's a traffic accident. And normally the police would involve, get involved and arrested and what arrested. But she beetled back off to the um, embassy and they couldn't touch her. And all that kind of fuss. Now, I'm not going to go through all that. You, 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 you read about it and so on. I think they finally prosecuted her in America and did what they did to her. But anyway, so it's a very special job. It's a very special um, office. And normally in our current modern world, it's the top people who have the job. Uh, they're top diplomats. They may be a general or somebody from, from the army or the forces. Uh, they may be somebody top in the business world. Um, they're, they're the top folk. And when you think about it, in a secular world, all right, in a diplomatic world, in, in where they've got all these things to negotiate, you want your best man, or should I say your best woman. Right? You want your best person. You don't want somebody, uh, somebody rubbish who can't understand anything, who can't add up, who only can speak one language. You need somebody who's preferably fluent in the language of the country to which he's come and who knows a bit about politics and, and so forth, who knows the customs of the country in which he's in. He knows the language, the custom. He knows what's what, should know the law, all right, and so on. So it's a highly specialist, particular job. Being an ambassador, that's some big thing. Now I say all that because what I'm going to say about ambassador in the Bible is totally opposite. You say, well, why did you spend time in telling us about it? Well, to contrast it. To contrast it. And this is the glory of being an ambassador in the New Testament sense, being a representative of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, God does this deliberately, and I think it's wonderful. Now, who, let's go back to the actual verse, all right, what does it say here? For now then, we are ambassadors, verse 20. Who are the we? Right? We are ambassadors. Obviously, it means Paul. He's, he's in, that, in that word, we. So it means him. So, ah, well, I understand that. Paul, he's a mighty man. Apart from his spiritual qualifications and all the rest, he's, he's a mighty man intellectually. He, he, he went, to, went to what we would call one of the top universities of the day. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the, the top men of the day. He was a great intellect. He was, a, he was a man. He was the top man. He was a great man. And so, if you only add Ephesians 6, uh, I am ambassador, you say, well, yes, I understand that. When God wants an ambassador, when God wants a, representat a representative in this world, all right, to take the gospel, then he's going to have the best, the best available, the best person, the best educated, the best articulate. He's going to have the best. Yeah, I can understand that. And therefore, when you see this in, in 2 Corinthians, we, you may assume that Paul is talking about himself and others who are on a similar level to him. But no, 
He is the exception. So let's look at it again, all right? Let's go back to verse 18. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us. Right? Plural, us. Now that us must mean himself again and the Corinthian believers. Every single believer in Corinth is included in us. Now I don't leave with a point. You, you, you reasonable people, you can work that out, can't you? All right? So us is given to us, the ministry of exhibition. To, that is, that God was in Christ, reconciled the world unto himself, and imprudent, distresses unto them, and so on. And it's committed to us, Paul, and every single Corinthian believer. Now, when you realize that, you start thinking, oh, so are you saying that, yes, Paul is an ambassador, and yeah, we can see, understand that, but that every other believer, irrespective of their status, or their education, or their intellect, or their ability, every, other, every single believer in Christ, from the simplest to the cleverest, every single believer is an ambassador for Christ. Yes, I am. I'm saying that. Because the Bible says it. And then when you think of some of these people in Corinth. Now I'm often quote to you, if you ever listen to me, um, one, 1 Corinthians, all right? Where Paul is describing these people. These are the believers in Corinth. And he's discussing uh, about some of the Greeks who were wise and some of the Jewish people who were very clever. And he says, you know, let me tell you something. God hasn't called you because you're very religious or you're very wise to come to faith in him. Where is the wise? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 20. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Now get this. Paul is saying, listen, God didn't look for the wisest and the best to bring them to faith so they could be useful. The problem with that is that there are some wise people that can never come down to the levels of the likes of you and me. So they're hopeless when it comes to communication. Not all, but some. And if it depended on wisdom, the wisdom of men, then let's be honest, and I've got to be careful what I say and who I look at, some of us would never get there. We're not that clever. We're just ordinary folk. I include myself. I'm happy to do that. So, this is what Paul says. All right? For after the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, so this is God's wisdom, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God's method is the preaching of the gospel, a declaration of a person to another person of the gospel. Now, we can talk about preaching. We can talk about witnessing for our purposes. For the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews a stumbling block. And to the Greeks foolishness. The Jewish person will say, what are you talking about? Our Messiah, Yeshua, our Messiah, he will be great and wonderful like David. And you're telling us 
that this Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter who died on a cross, he is the Messiah, he's the Savior. How can he possibly be a Savior? How can he possibly be a deliverer? How can he possibly be the Messiah of God? Look at him. He's bleeding and dying and dead. A stumbling block. The Greeks say, this, 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 this man is a carpenter. And look what's happened to him. Where's the sense in that? Where's his reasoning? Where's his intellectual arguments? He's just nobody in their eyes. But unto them who are called, Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. These wise Greeks, they put him at nothing, but they're at nothing because he is everything. He is the wisdom of God from eternity. The Jews who put him as weak and, and helpless and hopeless, and, and, he's, and he's there being treated so badly by the Romans, and, he, and he's dead, and that's the end of him. He's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believe, Jews and Greeks. And then he goes on to say this. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Generally speaking, the majority of the people of God are ordinary men and women, common people. Forgive the expression if you think I'm insulting you, but that's what you are. You're common people. You see a calling, brethren. Not many mighty, not many wise. Men after the flesh, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. To confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are not. Things which are despised and, uh, and uh, has God chosen. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are. This is what God has done. Why has God done this? Why hasn't God chosen the best and the, and the wisest and the cleverest and the most intellectual? Why hasn't he done that? Because he wants to have all the glory. Have you got that? All the glory. Here's this simple little soul, uh, and he's uneducated. She's uneducated, not really clever. And God uses them to bring people to faith and bring them into the kingdom. Who gets the glory? God gets it. God gets it. That no flesh should glory in his presence. I like that. Later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we have a list of the members of the church in Corinth. Dear me, what a lot they were. I almost hesitate to read it in a civilized congregation such as I have before me. Listen to what Paul says. This is 1 Corinthians 6. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Now here's the list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revelers, extortioners, none of that type of person, if they continue in that, will inherit the kingdom of God. But then he goes on to say, 
I'm such with some of you. Pardon? Back to my urinate again. Pardon? Did Paul say, did he actually say that some of these Christians at Corinth were all these kind of people he's just just, just described? Yes. The worst of the worst are now believers in the Lord Jesus. Such were some of you, but you've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. God has done such a work in these people, the worst of the worst. God has made them the best of the best in Christ. Have you got that? In Christ. He's cleansed them and sanctified them. And who gets all the glory? God gets all the glory. All the glory is his. So, when he says, we are ambassadors... He's including all those in chapter 1, the not the wise, the not the noble, the not the this and the not the that. He's including all these bad characters in chapter 6, all right, of 1 Corinthians. He's including all that lot, and he says to all this lot, listen, you are ambassadors for Christ. What? Me? Yes. In Gordon Road, this evening, we have a church full of ambassadors. Now, don't look at me a bit funny. I'll pass off the way you look. But don't look at me funny. But that's true. You may not have thought of yourself as an ambassador for Christ. And you might say, oh, well, I'm not a preacher. You don't have to be a preacher to be an ambassador for Christ. You can be the lowest of the low in your own estimation. You can have no ability to speak or to articulate. You don't need to. You just need need to be able to share very simply the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Now, I have a quote, which I often quote, and so I'm going to quote it again because I often quote it. Uh, There was an old minister in Progend. He was a minor. He was illiterate. He couldn't read or write. He was not a nice man, blaspheming and all the rest of the other things. He was a down-and-out sinner, as we would say. And the Lord saved him. And then he began to learn to read and to write more or less from the Bible. And then move on, and he becomes a minister. And he's a minister at a little mission church in um, where I used to live in Bridgend. And the Lord moved and worked through him in a wonderful way, because he was an ordinary work, what we would use the class, call working class. And he's at the gate post one day, just looking, and the postman comes up. Good morning, morning. Buradar, he'd say in valleys, Buradar, good morning. And the postman says, I, I, I'm a bit lost. I've got uh, a new estate here. Um, it's um, St. Christopher's Road. Um, and I don't know where it is because all the other roads around were like Jones Avenue and Evans Street and all kinds of things. But this was St. Christopher's. You can imagine the people who lived in St. Christopher's. 
Anyway, he said, I, I'm looking for St. Christopher's Road. Ah, said the old pastor. Actually, it's the new estate down there under the bridge, and it's on the right. It's the council estate on the left, and on the right is, is the posh houses, you know, St. Christopher's, um, St. John's, St. Joseph's, St. Joseph's, St. Joseph's, that's where all the saints are. He said to the person, all the saints live down there. It's only sinners live at this end. And the person said, oh. and then he said, but some of us know a savior. Oh, nice. That's very simple. He's an amazing preacher. He's not preaching to the postman. He's just telling him. That's where the saints are, so-called. Up here are sinners, so-called. But some of us know a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. We need to recapture who and what we are. That we, in God's sight, are ambassadors for Christ. You may not be very qualified. You may not be very eloquent. But if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus tonight, you are an ambassador. A thought came to me, right? I'll just share this quickly with you. A thought came to me. God could have used the angels, all right? Certain things, certain messages that came from heaven to earth came via angels. The biggest example would be um, the virgin birth, when an angel appears to Mary, and an angel appears to Joseph. You know the story, right? The incarnation is so big, it's so important that at that time, God didn't send a prophet to Mary or a prophet to Joseph and say, this is what's going to happen and there's going to be a baby and all this. No, no. God sent an angel, one of the, the highest angels, if you like. But having told Joseph, having told Mary, after the baby is born, who are the main announcement, announcers, or shedders, spreaders of this glorious birth, shepherds. Now you say, oh, but what were the wise men, you know, the three kings of Orient are, and all that. well, they came and they went and that was the end of it, right? But the local lads were shepherds. Now, God didn't go get, uh, to get the local synagogue and the Sanhedrin and all that gang and say, I, I want you to pop, run down to, 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 uh, uh, to Bethlehem to see this baby and all of a sudden. He, God, chose deliberately. An angel came to the shepherds, told him what was going on, and they went, and they were the first people to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ come into earth. Shepherds, ordinary, working class Shepherds, and apparently, so I'm told, the shepherds of those days, they weren't the best of men. It was like, a, the, the, if you couldn't get do anything else, you'd be a shepherd. And so they, sometimes they didn't own the sheep, they just lacked it for somebody else. And they were a real rough lot. But God in his sovereignty chose the shepherds to tell about the coming of the Messiah. Move to the cross and the resurrection. On the day of Pentecost. And it, this is a big day. Thousands of people are there gathered. 
and somebody's going to stand up and as a spokesperson for the disciples. Who is it going to be? Who's the cleverest? Who's the best? Who's the most articulate? Well, I don't know what choice is. Well, there's this, um, there's this Galilean fisherman, and he's really rough and ready. He's got a big mouth. He's an amazing man. He opens his mouth and puts his foot in it. He's got a big mouth. And he's uneducated. And he stands up. And boy, does he give it to him. Peter. Peter. Equipped and filled and baptized with the Holy Ghost. And he declares to these Jewish folk and their wealth is watching the glories of the Messiah. Quoting the Old Testament. Feel fulfilled. Hear him what you see and so on. Wow. Now, some will say, oh, but, but then what about Paul? He, he, he's the man. Well, yes, he is the man. To prove the point that God uses sometimes those who are clever, who are educated. God forbid that somebody should go from this meeting tonight and say, well, Colin said that if you're going to be used of God, you've got to be simple. And to be honest, I'm not simple. Now, I might have referred to what I told you, but I mean, you must say, not think that. If you have ability, natural ability, natural education, natural intellect, then God has given you that. Use it. Use it for his glory. I'm thinking of somebody like Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Right? Obviously, I think about him much, apart from he's Welsh. Um, brilliant mind. He was uh, the assistant to Lord uh, Hoarder, I think it was, at Harley Street. Had he maintained a, a medical profession, he had become... I think it was then the king's um, uh, medical advisor. He was he's very clever, very educated. I'm reading a book by him. Well, it's in a book by him on conversions, psychological and spiritual. I'm not going to tell you about it. Right? If you're really interested, ask me. But it's amazing when he analyzes the psychiatrist who... Uh, reduces Christianity to a psychological event. Anyway, and he, uh, the doctor analyzes this from a medical point of view, a psychiatric point of view, and then dismisses it and says, That's, this is what the gospel is about, about God's power by the Spirit of God. Great. Now, there are people like that. But most of us are not like that. If we are like that, thank God, he can use us. If we submit our intellect, our cleverness, our learning, if we commit it to the Lord and say, Lord, I lay all this at your feet. If you want to use it, use it. If you don't, you don't. But Lord, it's at your disposal. I am at your disposal. I will do whatever you want me to do. Whatever little gifts I have, great gifts, small gifts, I will do what you want me to do because I want to be useful in the kingdom. I want to be an ambassador for Christ. What a responsibility. Occasionally you read of ambassadors who have been called back to their homeland because they've been naughty boys or naughty girls. Quite sad. Because in a sense they've let 
the whole of the country down. You're supposed to be representing the country, the king, the queen, the emperor, prime minister, president, whatever it is. They've let them down. Don't be like that. Don't be like that. Represent. You're representing the king of kings, the lord of lords, ambassadors for Christ. You're representing him. You are his representative on earth. Whatever you are, whoever you are, you're his representative. And he's pleased to have you. It's not as if God says, you know, I look at this motley crew down in Gordon Road. I'm sure I could do better than that. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because he has deliberately chosen you to be his own and to be his witnesses in Hailsham and district. You are here to represent King Jesus, to share him, however clumsily you do it, however inadequately you do it. It doesn't matter. You are his representative, and he's pleased to have you. Now, I've got to be careful if I talk about rugby, all right? And I'm not going to talk about rugby, but I'm going to talk about two rugby players. There are two lads in the Welsh team. My sister knows their dad. Actually, their granddad. I know them, the granddads. And there's a nice little feeling, right? Oh, yeah. He's one of ours. He's one of us. He's one of the boys. One of the local lads. And that's nice, isn't it? When if you have children and one of them does something particularly... Good, you think? Yeah, you know, a little bit. You don't want to be proud. You don't want to be, oh, biased. Look at my son. Look at my grandson. Oh, he's wonderful. He's the best in the world. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. But it's a normal and a natural. Isn't that lovely? I don't know if I ought to tell you this, but I'm going to anyway. My granddaughter's husband has just started work for the United Nations. Mm. I don't know actually what he does. He could be emptying the dustbins. But uh, I think it's a very high power job. Am I proud? Well, maybe. Maybe. Now, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. The Lord Jesus Christ is glad to have you on his side, if I could put it like that, without being uh, irreverent. The Lord Jesus Christ is glad to have you, and he wants to use you to tell people about him. And you have a job that nobody else in the world could do. Wow. Wow. And thrice wow. I think this is amazing. Now, get a grasp of it. Get a grasp of it. Get, get the, let this feed into your mind and, and stop being so miserable around the place. Not to stop saying, oh, I can't be like that. I can't be like this. Some people say to me sometimes, oh, I wish I was like you. I said, you don't. You really don't. I'm too noisy. I'm too silly. I'm too all this. and that. You don't be like me. You be you. God wants you to be like you. You as you are. But be a representative of King Jesus. Ambassadors for Christ. Let's stop and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lovely thought and truth.
that your people are ambassadors for Christ. What an honor, what a responsibility, what a high calling. We pray, Father, that you help us to live this out and say, yes, Lord, that's what I am and that's what I want to be. Help me to be it tomorrow. If you tarry, if you spare me the night, help me to be it tomorrow through the week. Give me opportunities to share a simple little word, a simple little deed, a simple little kindness for Jesus' sake that people might be aware that that's what I am. That defines me. Ambassador for Christ. Amen. Amen, amen. We're going to sing our last hymn, which is for Charles Wesley's, and it's because of the last two verses in this hymn, 128. <clears throat> I know I've told you this several times, and I'll probably tell you myself a few more times. But Charles Wesley, who wrote this in Bristol, there's a statue of John, I think he's on a horse, and Charles is in the old Baptist church in Bristol, and Charles is there just standing um, in preaching mode. And on the side of the print there, life size on the side of the print there the statue it says this may I commend my savior to you isn't that great may I commend my savior to you and that's the man who wrote this uh, hymn one to eight Jesus the name I over all and this is the man who wrote the last two verses. His only righteousness I show, his saving truth proclaim. Tis all my business here below to cry, Behold the Lamb. Happy if in my latest breath I may but gasp his name, preach him to all, and cry in death, Behold, behold the Lamb. Amen. Let's stand to sing one to eight. Jesus, the name I over Before it flies.